Welcome to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard. That was the fantastic track, No Soul, No Control, from Susie Quattro's latest album, No Control. Welcome, Susie. Thank you. Nice to be here. It's great to uh, talk about your latest album and a range of material across your career, as well as the absolutely outstanding Susie Q documentary that I uh, saw this week. First of all, uh, do you want to tell me about that first track, No Soul, No Control? Is that kind of about asserting your independence and the way that you live your life? Yeah, every a lot of people ask me, you know, if because if, I write a lot of songs, is there any one that really is you? And this is the one. <laughs> Just everything I am got to hold on to me. You won't take control, you know. So it, I even recite the chorus lyrics to the audience just before I do the song, just so they get it. This song is me. It started with a riff by my son. I did the whole album with him, uh, writing and producing. He said, I didn't even want to show you that riff. I thought maybe it would be too heavy for you. And I immediately went, oh, and he said, all I keep getting is something about my soul. And I went, bing, and I took it into the other room. So put it down, took it in the other room. Within 20 minutes, had the song. Came back in, and on the demo that we had laid down of it, I did the what ended up being the real vocal track, which is nuts. Wow. Yeah. And so then when I had to relay down the bass track after we got the real musicians in, <laughs> of course, I'm singing to my vocals, so I'm flying. And then I went to learn it for stage, and I went, oh, no, what have I done that? <laughs> because usually you're singing and playing at the same time, yeah. and it goes together. But this one, because I was listening to my lead vocal, I was just being a bass player. <laughs> wow. Both, you know? So, yeah, it's it's a very good song. I'm very proud of Very proud of the album, actually. It does seem to have a similar style to your debut album. It's got that uh, real vitality to it. Yeah, this was um, my son's intention, I think. He kept on at me for a long time. You need to do this kind of album. You need to do this kind of... I kept thinking, what are you talking about? Always make good albums. I mean, I just had one out by uh, Quattro Scott and Powell. I mean, you know, you don't get yeah. better than that. A great album. 
And then he just sort of showed me a couple of riffs and I just went, okay. And he pushed my Susie Quattro buttons. I think, I don't think he meant to. I just think he grew up watching me. So in his little DNA, he had what mom does, you know, and he didn't want me to ever go away from that. He kept wanting me to do an album like that. And then he brought the modern touch to it because he's of this generation. So got the best of both worlds. You got everything I am, push the button and the whole variety of everything I know for my whole career. And then the modern touch. So it, it worked out real good. I've read that Don't Do Me uh, Wrong was the, the first track that you worked with with your son. Did, if, if so, did that set the template? Uh, the first one. Yeah. Don't do me wrong. Yes. He's, he sort of said he had said to me about six years ago, I want to write with you. He'd been in bands and stuff, made some really good recordings. They were more of a grunge band, you know, which wasn't my, mm. and he kept saying it to me every now and again, want to write with you, want to write with you. And then finally he came to me and he said, mom, I need to write with you. And that translated to me as the fact that he was now ready, you know? Yeah. So I said, what you got? He showed me that don't do me wrong. And I, listened to it, just a riff, and I went, you know what, Richard, I can work with that. That's got something. So I went away, wrote the vocal and the bass line with it and played around with it. Then we did a couple more. Then we went in the studio. And the third demo in, I turned to him and Mike, whose studio it is, and I said, we're making an album. And they both said, we know. It just went serious all of a sudden. And I said to both of them, okay, now that we know this is serious stuff, we're not just having fun here. I want this album to be organic. I don't want to push any song, any which way. Oh, let's write one of these. No, write and let the, each song have a voice. And that's what you're hearing on the album. And the critics went crazy about it. So I'm real pleased with it.
you've got so many projects and things looking at the past and looking at the future going on. As I said at the start, the Susie Q documentary, it seems to get to the real heart and essence of you. It's got a truthfulness, but from that truthfulness, it's you can really show how pioneering you have been over the last uh, uh, 50 years. 56 now. I just turned 70. My intention on doing the documentary was to put the record straight, tell the story as is, don't sugarcoat it, ups, downs. I actually said to the director, because I had editing scissors, obviously, because it's my life, you know. And I said, I will stick to this religiously. If something is true, even if I'm uncomfortable, it stays in. You know, I want everybody to have their platform to speak what they want to say. And I stuck to that. And even what I love to call the cringe moments, they're probably the best moments in the film. You know, so I I was able to accomplish what I wanted to. It is honest. It's vulnerable. It's warts and all. And it, and I think you leave watching that. I think you you feel like you know me. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to sort of go back to the mid 60s and Detroit and your early years and the way that your music at the start was very much a, a family affair? Oh, it sure, it sure was. Um, even my beginnings, you know, I mean, the whole, my, my dad played music all the time. Uh, he worked at General Motors and played every night. He was a semi-pro, but a pro in his heart, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had four siblings, three sisters and a brother. We all learned our instruments. Uh, it wasn't strange in my family to play various instruments. That was just a given. You know, it just family shows and, you know, it was just that kind of a thing. I myself um, read, write and play percussion and piano and I'm self-taught on bass. The next track being The Pleasure Seekers, uh, What a Way to Die, which uh, had had your sister, you played with your sisters in that group? There, it started off with um, the original band was my eldest sister and me, two yeah. sisters who were friends of ours, lived around the corner and a girl that lived two doors away. Her, her father was in my father's band. That was the first band that got together, yeah. It was it was a cute band. It was a cute band, I have to say. Must be so pioneering even then, you know, an all-girl group playing quite hard rock at times. Well, you know, don't forget we're from Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> so, as Alice said, you know, you can't take Detroit out of your DNA. There's an edge in Detroit, you know, that there just yeah. is. And uh, there's an energy in Detroit, and it's hard to describe, but it's there. So if you come from that city, it's in you. And that really does come out in the documentary. And you've got a range of people talking about that. Obviously, uh, Alice Cooper, who originally is from Detroit. Yes, he is. He, he, He was born there, and then his family moved when he was young to Arizona. Then he came back there again. So he's basically Detroit, yeah.
you were playing with um, Cradle at the time when um, Mickey Most happened to be over in the States recording Jeff Beck, and you were playing, I think, one of the, the tracks that you sung on in the gig that Mickey saw you was Brain Confusion. That's a nice link. Yes, I had. I think that was one of the first songs I ever wrote. And um, in Cradle, I had taken a little bit of a backseat because it was a band decision to bring new blood in. And my sister was more the 60s age of the heavy singing and all that. We wanted to. I didn't want to. Everybody else wanted to move in that direction. But I was I was OK with that because I just really got good. And when Mickey came, I, I got two songs I did. One that I wrote, which is Brain Confusion. Then I did Your House Rock. Right, yeah. He didn't like the band. He offered me a solo contract immediately. The same week before he came, Electra Records had also seen the band. I also did the same two songs, the only two songs of the evening. Otherwise, I was at the back. And Electra Records also offered me a solo contract. So when you look at the big scheme of life, that was my time to move on. And I took the English offer because Jack wanted to take, he was the president of Electra, wanted to take me to New York and make me into the next Janis Joplin, which I'm not. Right. I'm nothing like her. And Mickey wanted to take me to England and make me into the first Susie Quattro. So that's the offer I took. Pretend with all the lonely 
think when you came over to London with Mickey that there was a bit of time where you were still trying to find your voice or find yourself in terms of music and grow? Well, until you have your first hit, every artist is the same. Until you actually have your first hit, you are searching. Sure, you want the magical, you know, the magical thing. But saying that within the search, and some of this stuff is on my box set, you can hear that I was always that grungy, always that tomboy. Even even uh, the Pleasure Seekers, What a Way to Die, I'm screaming on that. I was 14. Mm-hmm. I always had my, my stance, my boogie, my look, my vibe, and it took to put it together in the frame. That's all. And that's every artist, you know. Mickey saw that rawness. He saw that rock and roll girl that hadn't been done before that played bass. And he said, you're unique. Hasn't been done. And he always used to say to me, you're going to have right across the board, you're going to have gay guys, gay girls, straight guys, straight girls. You've got that appeal. You've got a little bit of something for everybody. And I think in hindsight, I make them pretty right because it seems to be that what that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. I don't do gender for a reason, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think your first single was Rolling Stone, but that was kind of a bit autobiographical in a way. And you were working with Errol Brown, who was on the same label at the time. Yes. Um, Mickey had the track written by Phil Denny, the song. And he said, I like this song. I like this vibe. I don't like the lyrics whatsoever. Right. Why don't you go over to Eros? Because Eros was a good lyricist. I'm a good lyricist. 
Uh, I also am a good, you know, good music, but this particular song only needed lyrics. So I sat with Errol at the piano and rewrote the story of my life. And it really just flowed. Not a problem. From the first line, age of 16, I was on the road with things you've never seen. Boom, we're in. Watching Susie Q, it seemed that um, Mickey Chin and Mike Chapman saw you and your band at the time, took the essence, you know, the boogie sound, and then kind of reflected that and, and wrote Can the Can. Yeah, it is. Um, Mike, Mike was a particularly good at the three-minute single syndrome. Yeah. You know, certain people have that. I just write. I write, I write, I write, I write. I don't like to be hemmed in trying to write a certain thing. That's not how I would but saying that I've written some songs, some, some good singles, you know, but I don't want that to be in my mind. But yes, uh, we had been on that Slade tour with Thin Lizzy, obviously opening act. I had 20 minutes at the beginning of the show, all original material. And that's what Mike heard. And it was, if you listen to the first album, it's boogie and it, it's very much as can the can. It really just, you know, and Mike went away and he went, ah, and he wrote that 
that can the can, you know. And it was the band that put that together. Um, the band was really cool, really happening band. Everything just fell into place on that one, even my scream. <laughs> and the scream is, is one of those things that has stayed with me my whole life. You know, people wait for it. How can people wait for a scream? You know, it's kind of crazy, but they do. such a successful and prolific time with our string of such brilliant singles as well as 
albums in, in that period, 73, 74. In terms of the singles, um, 48 Crash, it was like, um, I think Mike Chapman's called that one of his favourites of that he did with you. I never knew he felt like that. He never told me that. I don't know why that's his favourite, but it's a good one. He likes my performance on that. Huh. <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't have said that was my favourite. It's, it's up there. I love all my hits, but I don't even know what my favourite is. But that's about the male menopause. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> the way that Mike used the lyrics, it really sort of reinforced the melody of those songs. And then when you've got the power of the bass and the drums and everything, it is just a, yes. a thundering sound that you just cannot get up and, and, and sort of listen to. It grabs you. No, that, that's correct. That's what he did. He, he he developed it. But I mean, you know, like I said, we all put those records together, but he allowed my my bass to sing, which is so nice because I'm a good bass player and Mickey, Mickey hadn't really used that. Mike was right. You know, I'm a good rock singer and a good bass player. And that's what Mike allowed to come to the fore.
it was like that that Mike was writing for you and you the way that it could propel you and the song. Yeah, he yeah, he did write exactly for me. Exactly. I mean, there were times we were so in tune. I'll tell you quick, a funny story. We were recording uh, Mama's Boy, which was a single of mine. And I was doing the vocal and I stopped singing and I yelled at Mike, who was in the control room. And I said, do you mind, Mike, trying to write a song to give me a space to breathe? And he said, Susie, you wrote this. (laughs) So that illustrates that we were... We were tight. We were on the same page. A lot of B-sides, by the way, a lot of our B-sides should have been singles. And Mike purposely said, we're going to put really good stuff on the B-sides. I don't like this putting a bit of rubbish on the b So we put really good stuff. And some of it was so good that Mike often would say, you know what? I don't want them to flip this and make it a double. Let, let's put an extra measure in here or a little bit of a loud guitar that doesn't. Do you have a favorite B-side, especially one that you wrote in, in that period? Two. In fact, I did them on my, my bass lines that I just finished. I did 50 of those. Roman Fingers, I love. And probably In the Morning.
you always write from a, a personal perspective or do you put yourself in other people's situations? I don't write fiction as such. Most of my songs are about what I've gone through. But sometimes I hear a story, you know, or I see something or what, like a suicide. Great song, great live number. I had seen an interview by John Lennon and he said, I'm a prisoner in 72nd Street. I thought, oh, and I wrote a song called Suicide. And the strangest thing is he he died outside of his apartment. So how weird is that? But my lyric book comes out July the 27th. And in this book, um, I tell stories like that. I pick out, I picked out like 69 songs and then put the lyrics on a little anecdotes like where I was and what my mindset was and blah, blah, blah. So if you want to learn anything about that, it's called Through My Words. Oh, lovely. Yeah, and it's it's the other side of my poetry book, which is already out called Through My Eyes. This is Through My Words. Because I'm a real strong lyricist. You know, I always have been. Mike Chapman always told me that.
One of the things that marks you out compared to some of your contemporaries is that you spanned what is now known as the glam period. You've shifted your sound as, as time goes on. So by the time of the late 70s, a track like If You Can't Give Me Love, it's got a bit more of that reflective, maybe even a country element to it. Well, I've always said that element to my voice. Most most good rock singers can do a good ballad. That's a fact of life, you know. And we purposely wanted to have a little change. When we got back together again, we talked about it, you know. We can't just come out and do Cam the Cam Part 6 again. We can't do that. So Mike purposely was thinking how to use it. He loves my natural uh, range, loves it. And uh, Can't Give Me Love was in that range. And he had just been to... I was filming Happy Days at the time, yeah. just getting in it, and he had just been to the opening night of Saturday Night Fever, and then we met up and everything, we were going to work together, and then he, he wrote that, well, I've seen you before on the discotheque floor, perfect, and he said, we're going to put this in your range, I said, good, because he always made me scream, but it's okay, I don't mind screaming, but um, yeah, and and I was never really glam, even in the glam days, I was always rock and roll. Yeah. Never glam. I don't know how they ever called me that. I didn't wear makeup. I had a plain black leather suit on, and the sound was rock. But I think it's like Mike said in the documentary, my hits were coming in that period, so you get lumped into that era. I was never, I, I mean, I never was glam. I'm not glam now. I yeah. am rock-based.
And in that same period, you actually had massive success in the States with Stumbling In, Chris Norman. I mean, that must have been, been fantastic to, to have a massive chart success in your homeland. Yeah, finally, you know, I mean, our, our singles didn't translate over there. I always sold plenty of albums there, and people knew who I was, obviously, blah, blah, blah. I did a lot of tours, and then Happy Day cemented it. But to have a big million seller there was great. Even though it wasn't my normal sound, it didn't matter. It was That's one of the Evergreens live. People love that song. They absolutely love it. One of, one of, um, one of Mike's best ones, I think. Yeah. That and if you can't give me love, I think I got two of his best songs. Absolutely, that song was evolved in the in the studios. You were making it. Um, we had done a uh, I was at a award. We, we were in Cologne recording, and there was a big award ceremony. So we were all there, and we went after the award ceremony to a private party. And they had a band on. And I'm always the same. I'm, I just get up. I just want to get up and play, you know. So I was trying to grab all the other famous people and say, come on, come on. Nobody wanted to go up. So crazy. I go up anywhere. So I finally grabbed Chris and I said, you're singing with me. He said, okay. I said, come on. Up we went and we started to sing. And Mike was there. Obviously, he's recording me. And he just went, oh, I like that. I like the way that looks and I like the way that sounds. And he went home that night and wrote the chorus to Stumbling In. Amazing. Wow. And we recorded it as two people, you know, that we played it live. My band played on it, not Chris, not, not Smokey. And we recorded it face to face to vocal. Mike said, as if you just got up at a club and you were singing to each other. And that's the vibe it has. Our love is alive.
a track that um, not as many people know but is one of your best and is more reflective Lonely is the Hardest it seems to be a bit of a, a lost classic for many people yeah, people know it I mean it was on the album and people love it but um, it wasn't released as a single no I think it's a lost classic yeah I did it on stage for a while I still do it now I do that one at piano wow. actually that's where it was written and I played piano on the recording too yeah that was a real hard time in my life and I always wanted to write a song about that period so when we were doing the Rock album, the Rock Howard album, that's when I readdressed it. Yeah, it's real personal, that one. It's everything I went through, you know, and I mean every word. <laughs> and that's in my lyric book, too. <laughs> Nobody 
as we come to the last decade, there's uh, a track of yours that harks back to Elvis uh, singing with angels. Not only does it hark back to Elvis, it's got the John Ayres on there. Is it Scotty Scotty Moore? No, Was no, he on James Burton? Or James Burton? Oh, fantastic! Um, everybody wonders why I didn't meet him when I could have done. You know, when I was 24, um, he's kind of been on my shoulder my whole life. Uh, my first turn on was when I was five and a half and I saw him on TV and I knew at five and a half I was going to do that. I actually said it to myself, I'm going to do that. He's followed me my whole career. I got my image, my leather because I love him so much. The day I got the part in Happy Days, I was waiting in the hotel room for the phone call and uh, they called me up to tell me I had it for three seasons. And right then the TV flashed in the hotel room and it said, news flash, the king is dead. So all these things, I mean, even thinking about how I got my deal, I did Brain Confusion and Jailhouse Rock. So it's all the way through my life. He called me, you know, when All Shook Up was out. Anyway, it ended up with me writing Singer with Angels, which is my tribute to him. And I'd sent it to Way Walker of the Jordanaires and James Burton. I knew them both. And they both kind of emailed me back and said, Susie, we are inundated with tribute songs. Can you send it to us? Because it's you. I said, okay. So I sent them the song. Within two weeks, they got it. They heard it. It takes about a week to get there because this is before email. Uh, it wasn't before email, but I didn't have an email thing to send. So I had to actually send them a demo. And they called up and they said, book the studio. This is the best Elvis tribute we've ever heard. And I went. So I recorded it with his people at his studio. Now, you know how strange is this? <laughs> How I, I get goosebumps when I talk about it. So that was my path. That's what I was supposed to do. And I did it. And now Elvis Impersonate is recorded. And it's played at lots of funerals. It's an important song. Shines, burning love makes us 
Saving God's promised land I saw you singing with angels Walking hand in hand Love me tender and treat me nice Singing with angels Singing with angels Saving God's promised land Singing with angels Walking hand in hand Hand in hand while What a beautiful band Elvis has left the building I recall getting uh, your box set from about six years ago, Girl from Detroit City, and the title track just stood out for me. It seemed to get to the, again, like some of your best songs, to the heart of you and your story. That's exactly. I said to Mike, you know, um, I, I've asked him to do that a few times, but I said, this this box set, it's, it's just going to be great, Mike. It's four CDs, 82 tracks. It's my 50th year in the business. And he he did the business. He came up with The Girl from Detroit City. It was me, one million percent, and I even got to do my Motown backing vocals. Fantastic. Yeah, it's a great song. I love doing it on stage. It's one of the few, there's about three through my whole career, that because uh, usually I don't think about it, that I had to practice playing and singing the lead. She's in Love With You, very difficult. And this one... Do I remember that song?
to our final track Broken Pieces Suite which is uh, yourself with Andy Scott formerly of The Suite and Don Powell formerly of Slade how did you get to work with them and it was a lovely song thank you I, I always refer to it as my masterpiece because you know and I'm saying that humbly I don't know where it came from you know but I will never write another song like that as long as I live it's one of those songs you know that it just it must have been just totally inspirational it just came down i don't know where it came from i don't question it um we were going to work together for a long time and they were busy i was busy and finally the time seemed right it was my husband's idea to put us three together we came together we picked two covers each and then we wrote a couple, and then I thought, mm, I had this one, you know. And I had done a demo, basically, as you heard it, of course, not with that wonderful playing. Um, and I didn't know if they would like it. I, I didn't know. I thought, God, no, they're not, they're not going to want to do this. And they immediately called me and said, we're doing this track. So, wow, I didn't expect it. But thank you for liking that. I love it, too. And then just looking forward, so uh, you're, you're promoting Susie Q, which has got in rave reviews, and I've read that you're working on lots of new music as well during this uh, lockdown period. I have not been quiet. Um, the option for the second album has been taken up. So because my son was going to be on the road and I should have been on the road, then we weren't on the road. So I said, uh, and I have a studio on the grounds now, so I said, let's write. So we've written maybe 15, 16 songs, demoed them. They're ready to go. As soon as we can get in the studio, if it's allowed, bang, we're in. And I've got my book, which I've assembled during lockdown, my lyric book. And I'm making the movie of my life. And that script will be delivered in two weeks. So, And I'm now working on another book. So it's just, I'm, I'm an artist. And if I don't create, I die. Really enjoyed Susie Q, and I really look forward to, after hearing your last album, your next album as well. So thank you, Susie. Thank you. Play. 
hands Life was ideal And so we sailed Into the sun Now there's nowhere left to run Fly on wings of a silver dove Broken pieces of love Broken pieces of love
Thank you for listening to the Strange Brew Podcast. If you do like the show, please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online. It's ten years since I started the podcast, and hosting fees are increasing over time. All your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests. To support me, just go to thestrangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. Thank you very much. Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.